This week on Excelsior Journeys, my guest is prolific author, screenwriter, songwriter, and filmmaker Manuela Schneider. For the past several years, Manuela has taken on the Western genre in ways that I have never seen before. She has written novels, she has written scripts, she has written songs, and she has even directed a short film that is now available on YouTube. We're going to talk all about this, as well as the fact that she is so supportive of her fellow authors and so encouraging to them makes this a true Excelsior journey that I am really excited for you to hear. So, JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write home. I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope you're tuning in for all of the great content that this network has to offer. We are focusing on inspiring, motivating, celebrating, educating, and even rejuvenating creatives of all kinds. It has been such a pleasure putting this network together. It's been a wonderful feeling working with such great talent that want to be a part of this. And that really kind of that that's kind of the direction that I like to go in with all of my creative ventures. I love being part of a team. I love having that support system. I just can't get used to the feeling of doing it alone. And that's why when when I originally pitched out Excelsior to be published back in 2013, after its and during its self-published run, I got some very good feedback from the publisher that I would eventually go with. And that was Robin Tidwell of Rocking Horse Publishing, who basically said that you're doing well for yourself right now. It looks like you've gotten a good amount of reviews. It looks like you got some success here. Why do you want to go go traditional publishing instead? And I said that I felt like I kind of hit the wall when it came to the self-publishing, indie publishing world. I love it. I And I fully support everyone who wants to go in that direction. But for me, it's more important for me to have a support system, to be part of a team, to be, to know that there are people that have my back, whether they are editors or cover designers or, or just promotional or whatever the case. It's all about just making sure that there is that support. I feel like I'm not alone in this realm. And that's the way I felt with Rocking Horse Publishing. That's the way I felt working with the with the different people of Aloris Publishing. And that's how I feel now that I've signed with Ronan Weatherford. That's right. Excelsior has a new home. And the great thing about working with Ronan Weatherford already, the real tip-off that allows me to really kind of relax and know that I'm in good hands is that a couple of things, actually. One of them is the fact that uh, they will not be releasing 
book one, Excelsior, until book three, Greater Glory, is written. And that has me really excited because that gives me that extra motivation to really get this one finished. And another thing that really made me feel like I'm in good hands was the reception that I got from so many other people that are tied with Ronan Weatherford welcoming me into the fold once the announcement was made. And one in particular really, really grabbed my attention. It was from an author named Manuela Schneider. And Manuela is, after looking her up and seeing the sort of work that she has done, she is just as prolific, if not more so, than I am when it comes to getting the work out there in various fields. Yes, I have the books and I have the audiobooks, and I have the audio drama, Excelsior, the audio journey, which I'm so, so incredibly proud of. And I still can't believe that it was pulled off. But she has not only written novels herself in the Western genre, but she is also a songwriter. She's also a screenwriter. And she has written and directed her own short film that has made, that has made its way over to YouTube. And I really, really hope you check it out. It is called Miner's Candle. Definitely look it up. It is a really great piece of work. And as we started talking and as I got to, to really get to know her more, I knew that this is someone who needed to be on this show because Manuela is truly living an Excelsior journey because not only is she getting her work out there in as many different fields as possible, but she is also taking the time to be supportive and encouraging for all other authors that are welcomed into the Ronan Weatherford field. And so it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Manuela to this show so that way she can share her Excelsior journey with us. It is my pleasure to introduce my friend, Manuela Schneider. Manuela, how are you? Thank you, George. You honor and humble me with your words. I'm doing fine, busy as usual, but I'm really honored to be on the show. There's one thing you said about being in a traditional publisher now. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like a family feeling. Mm -hmm. And just like you, I have tried self-publishing as well, but it is a overload of work and it is a well, it's a relief to know that you do your book writing, and you do a lot of self-promotion, actually, but at least you don't have to do the editing and you don't have to design the cover and all that. It's it's a relief to know that you have an infrastructure of a company behind your back that knows exactly what they are doing because some of these things, I don't know how to create a cover and certain publishing aspects, you know. So yeah, it's about a family feeling. True. And we need to support each other. Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because we're, we're who we have, you know, and the more that you can say by their book, by this person's book, by that person's book, and, and take a look at this genre, take a look at this short film, the more you're able to do that, the less you are just throwing white noise out there into the social media spectrum and just saying, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, listen to my podcast, download this, you know, and just pushing your own stuff, which some people that works, but a lot of people, it just comes off as white noise. And I, I am much more comfortable 
telling people to download other books, you know, listen, try this person, try that person, just, you know, take a look at this. Isn't this cool? This person made it. And giving the spotlight to other people. I mean, that's why this show was created in the first place. It was created to give a spotlight like that. Not only that, what I found out is that I'm actually learning from the best. I buy books of other authors, whether they are friends or whether they are unknown to me. I read a lot. With with each book, I, I learn certain style elements or certain scenes or certain things. I think, like, wow, I want to describe something like that as well. You know, I think we learn from each other and... Every every author has a certain readership, and when you share each other's work and you support each other, you you attract each other's readers as well. Mm-hmm. And unlike in the movie industry, where you see a lot of jealousy going on in in the world of authors, yes, there's also jealousy going on, but not to an extent what you would see in a movie industry or modeling business, you know, the authors generally are more supportive of each other. And I have met some people who really helped me right from the start, believed in me right from the start, some amazing New York best-selling authors. And I'm like, who? I'm this little rookie. Why in the world would they support me? And, you know, I, I was thunderstruck literally when it happened and I think some people believed more in me than I did myself because authors I, are full yeah. of self, self-doubts mm-hmm. and when you're when you self-publish and you're all alone in the room as you said self-doubts have a big big chance to really pull you down yeah. Unless you have other people in the team, in the family, other authors that can walk by and literally clap you on the shoulder and say like, hey, I think that was well done, even if you doubt it, but that was well done, you know, so it lifts you back onto your feet because all of us have our down moments, all of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember one of my one of my favorite mentions from I think it was Dennis Palumbo, who's the screenwriter, who said that and he was crediting, I think, a friend of his that he just didn't name drop. But he said that, you know, writers are egomaniacs with low self-esteem because yes. we are trying to we're trying our best to get our work out there because it must be seen. It must be read. It must be listened to. It must be absorbed by the general public. I have a message I want to I and it, and it must get out there. It must get out there so that we can benefit the human race. And when no one responds to it. Your immediate thought is, oh, I knew I was crap. Yeah, yep. I, I knew I, I knew this was a waste of time. I knew that I was not going to benefit. I should just give up and immediately just sails right over to the negative. But a, a big part of why, of why I wanted to be part of a traditional publishing team and a family, as you say, is exactly what you said. That, you know, that you, that there's someone there that can kind of pick you up and, and dust you off yeah. and get, and kind of, you know, put a bandaid on you and everything and, and let you go back out to play. And yeah. a big part of that is, is saying, Hey, you're part of this group for a reason. They're not just, they're not just, they didn't, they didn't just sign you 
just because, you know, they like you as a person. They signed you because they like what you're, uh, what you have, what you, what you are giving, what you're presenting to the world. They believe that what you have has value and they want to make sure that that, that that gets out there to the fullest. So that's something that to me is very, very valuable because it's, it's all about validation. I think we also all have one thing in common. We want to tell stories to the world. Yep. And in my case, it's like that, that I want to give people an escape route. You know, when you read the mm -hmm. book, you kind of like dive into that book and you, you imagine the story like a movie happening right in front of you. And I think nowadays the world has become such a hateful place to a certain degree. Um, mm -hmm. We face a lot of hardship on human mankind sometimes needs an escape route, whether it's going to a good movie or gardening, whatever. For me, it was always books. And yeah. I still, I still recall, I grew up with Westerns actually, even though I'm based in Germany and people say like, Ooh, Germans are interested in Westerns. Heck yes, we are. <laughs> we had, we had got, we had TV shows like Gunsmoke, Bonanza. Yep. I mean, like Bonanza. Half Germany was in love with Little Joe. And we had. <laughs> of Gun um, Will Travel? Little, Little House in the Prairie. Oh, and, there you go. You know, I admit as a grown up woman, I admit they still show it on certain channels. We had Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and they still mm -hmm. repeatedly show those shows. And when I feel it was a tough day or hard day and I'm in a crappy mood and I feel down and I watch one or two episodes on Little House on the Prairie and the world is fine again, you know, oh, <laughs> it has great. this kind of like healing healing like a calming uh, kind of feel. yeah it's like it's like a sugar cotton in a way you know it sweetens the day where the day was rather sour mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i grew up with that and of course like being a child i started with reading all the call my books boy mm -hmm. was i pissed at age 10 i found out the dude made up everything he had never been to the u.s so i was oh wow <laughs> Pissed. Uh, <laughs> at age 10, I decided I want to learn the truth about the American natives and, and the cowboys and all that. So at age 10, I bought my first nonfiction book about sitting bull. Nonfiction. Oh, wow. And that's how, that's how the interest started, you know, and I did not proceed in until in 96. I took my first trip to the U.S. to the Southwest. 96, wow. My, yeah, I did my first round trip in 96 because I worked far east for a long time. And having seen paradise-like places like the Maldivian Islands and Singapore and all these super nice spots, the weird part was I set foot on the Southwest soil and I felt at home, boom, right mm. away. And so I thought like a year later, I decided to return and I went to a dude ranch vacation in Arizona, just a few miles out of Tombstone. 
And mm-hmm. uh, on that dude ranch, I actually met an old rocket stubborn cowboy and sperm maker called Jim Barker. And out of that vacation there, Jim and I were able to develop the most precious friendship for 23 years until he wow. passed away on cancer. And oh. to honor the people ask me, how did you get the idea to write Western books as a German? It's not really typical. Um, mm-hmm. The first book I wrote to honor that friendship. And Jim is one of the main characters in that book. Unfortunately, he got to read the first draft before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And the second reason why I continued with Western, nowadays I write Western mystery, starting Western, going all the way to nowadays. The second reason was a rather unpleasant one. Because mm. when when I published the second, kind of like tries, <laughs> let's yeah. call it tries, um, mm-hmm. To, to write Westerns, I got attacked. I got really attacked. I got people gossiped and harassed and said, like, why does she think she can write Westerns? She ain't not even American. American, Ooh. it is not in her blood. Oh, boy. And I thought, like, whoa, do your yeah. homework because two-thirds of the pioneers spoke some sort of Western German. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, it, it might not be my blood. I don't have a green card, but the heck, you know, we had thousands of pioneers from Germany, even from my area that migrated. So that is also my history. Mm-hmm. And the third reason was a very close friend named Charlie Lisser, who was a walking encyclopedia on silver screen, Western had his own great YouTube show about the lost Dutchman mine called Mysteries of the Superstition Mountains. And Charlie said, you have to really check out that show. Charlie said, if you don't feel it anymore, quit. Mm. But never, ever quit because of some naysayers who don't know better. Prove them. He literally said like, Kick their butt and prove them. I love it. So I promise Charlie, I say, okay, Charlie Lissura, I promise you, I will not give up as long as I feel that history. Mm-hmm. And I will try my best to bring back some pioneer history to Europe. Because mm-hmm. I realized that in Europe, in Germany, the people have an as wrong picture about the Americans or the American culture as the Americans might have a wrong picture about us. So Mm. I thought like, hmm, that is a a common mutual history. Our people migrated trying for better tomorrow, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you open a phone book in Phoenix, Arizona, you have about 10, 15 pages named Schneider. You Mm. have a lot of German heritage there. And so I thought like, okay, let's for the connection and understanding of two different cultures and countries, let's try to bring some of the pioneer history back. I did not achieve that with the books, but one day I had the idea, I want to write a song. 
Mm. And I reached out to a non-award-winning country singer named Carol Markstrom. I said, I want to write a song. You want to give it a try and risk it? So she said, like, yeah, Roman, <laughs> Western, whatever. I said, no, I want to write a song about the miners, the miners. Mm. <laughs> Why in the world about the miners? Now, I was in Tombstone, right? Well, yeah. the, the miners worked, they worked themselves to death. And yeah. all the praise goes out to Whiter, Doc Holliday, Johnny Ringo, Curly Bill, and all the other shady characters there but if not for the miners tombstone deadwood virginia city all those epic places would not Mm -hmm. exist so i say let's write a song for the miners and we did and i was lucky at that time she had almost finished recording an album and she put miners candle that's the name of the song onto Uh that album whoa Uh, yeah and for whatever reason, suddenly that song gets played in Holland, in Germany, in Italy, in Australia, in Canada, in America, in England. And I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. We need a music video. We need a mm-hmm. music video, girl. She said, I don't have no clue about how to do a video. And I said, well, me neither, but I have a lot of reenacting friends. So I wrote the script for a music video. Yeah. And then I realized every reenactor, every Western musician, every author, every screenwriter, we all have one goal to keep a history alive. Yeah. So I reached out to my friends and now it was a pity because some of them are really very talented as actors. Mm-hmm. They are not professional actors, but they are rain actors and they earn their money in keeping historical events alive. Mm. So I say like pity if they don't have a speaking line, because in the music video, you're supposed to act out, but you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so, yeah. To let the, to let the music itself. take. Yeah. The so I thought like that yeah. is unfair. And I rewrote the entire script about literally 10 days before the flight to the shoot. Really? And out of the music video, which would have been three out of three minutes, 50 seconds, I created a script for a 17 minute short movie. Mm-hmm. And in that short movie, the country singer actually performs that song on a classical historical guitar. And so we had this short western movie hybrid music video yeah almost it it, it yeah, i remember watching it watching my minor scandal on youtube and and this was one of those things where just like there's always there's i always have to have something going on in the background whenever i'm working on something but in this case i was just like i'm stepping away from from the computer i am getting myself comfortable on the couch I am turning, you know, like I am setting this up and everything. I'm even turning the lights off. I want to get myself mm-hmm. fully absorbed in this. And it was, it was definitely worth it. It was, it, it was a very, very well put together short film. And what as it, as the, that part of it happened, as the song really kind of kicked in, it was almost like similar to, almost similar to kind of how Thriller was 
yeah. how Thriller really just kind of it started off as as one thing and then then it morphed into something else. Yeah. Now, I didn't know the origins of Miner's Candle until just now, knowing that the song came first. It felt to me like it was like a natural, natural flow from basically just kind of telling the story of this poor miner who allowed himself to have his livelihood taken away from him. And it was, it was a real, it, it was, it was sad. It was a, it was a sad story, but it, but it worked great in terms of the acting with the writing, with the, Mm -hmm. the production of it and everything, the feel of it. Like you just, your heart broke for the the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote a book called a prospector's dream Mm -hmm. and I did a lot of research and it's unbelievable. Like for example, the soil in tombstone, when they were chiseling their 12 hour shift under underground, the soil contains a certain mineral which settles in the lungs and with the liquid in the lungs, it literally turns into concrete. So the miners were choking to death, slowly agonizing away the average age of the miners dying in Tombstone or in the silver boom areas Mm -hmm. was maximum 39 years. Some, most of them younger. And then the guys who washed out the crushed ore and they washed out the material, they were not working underground. So they thought they are better off, but they even had the worst card in their hands because they washed it out by using mercury. Now, Mm. nowadays we know mercury is a deadly toxic stuff and they, they went crazy because mercury attacks your brain and it, it, turns your brain into Swiss cheese. And those people really lost it completely. Some of them bashed their head against the wall because the pain in their head was so bad. And by finding out that hardship, by doing the research for the book, that is how the idea came to give those miners a voice. I wanted to give them a voice and say like, hey guys, you are not forgotten. It's not all about White Herb, Dark Holiday and the other guys. You are not forgotten. You paid with your life yeah, to create yeah. epic towns like that. So that is how the idea came. And the miners' candle is they chiseled 12 hours with only the light of a single candle. But the candles sometimes burned down before the shift was over. And then they had to chisel in the darkness. And they even did this double sledge thing with one carrying a big piece of iron, turning Mm -hmm. it. And his partner with a huge sledgehammer hitting that iron behind the guy. Now that with candlelight, that's, that's close to suicide if he missed it one time. He yeah. bashed in the skull of his partner, you know. Mm-hmm. So the hardship that stands behind it is very hard. And that is why the song and the video has also this second message. Don't give into greed. It is yeah. a historical song, but it has a modern message. Because if we give into greed for material things, we mm-hmm. might lose much more than what we gain at the end. So yeah. what happened was after we had, I have to say, the Christian Mesa, the guy behind the camera, the cinematography is an unbelievable talent. The way he edited it, superb. 
we had really talented actors. We froze. We had like 48, 50 degrees that morning when we started shooting and we shot it in 14 hours straight with wow. half an hour. Half an hour lunch break. These people rooted for me. These are my friends. They rooted for me. They believed in this project. Carol's yeah. super. The way she recorded it, she mm -hmm. composed the song. We co-wrote the lyrics. She was amazing to take the risk and to put it on her album. We had Paul Bloom for narration, who who has this real rustic kind it of was like a great voice it was it was a very it was voice. really yeah. really yeah. ideal kind of voice for that yeah game. ideal voice for the narration and the minor and the devil dickie stanley is an oh. old old tucson stuntman who played the minor and gene my friend gene he played the the devil in that he was video. so good too and he's like he you was know, he's someone that like you just you you yeah, you believe that role. You believe yeah. that how that that man yeah. is just evil. The way yeah. that he just he and knew you wouldn't believe he's he was the most do. most beautiful, most humble human being. It was difficult for him to play the evil because he's a he's rescuing dogs all over the country. <laughs> and he's the good hardest person you can imagine. Yeah. But that day, they really they brought out the best of the best out of them and I I wanted to pay back something and I took some of my own cash and I submitted paid the fees and submitted that music video to certain film festivals awesome. and then the unbelievable happened because I didn't want to submit it to some jungle film festival in God yeah. knows what country that is not even known I try to tackle the most difficult ones and yeah. we won up to now and we're still running in three four competitions we won 25 awards so far 25 worldwide. awards yeah we won what really really blew me off my feet was to win best western in the international film festival in barcelona because spain is the spaghetti western country yeah, that's right. And it's going to be screened at the Epic Almeria Film Festival. And that's the set where Clint Eastwood and all these people shot their movies. And the set is still in superb condition. They're still, still filming movies there today. And then we had a semifinal in the New York short film festival which mm -hmm. was epic that's a big one yeah. we were screened selected for screening at chandler we were we won in new mexico in arizona in san diego in la we won best female folk song in holland wow and so we have some real real prestige awards so yeah. far and the people ask me, what do you, what do you think? How does it feel for you to win that many awards? And I say like, well, wait a minute. I didn't win them. Mm -hmm. We won them. It's yes. a group achievement. Mm -hmm. I would be nobody without the guy behind the camera, without the guys in front of the camera, without Carol Markstrom and her beautiful voice singing the song. And she showed me certain knacks, how to, how to, 
write a song differently or how to make the lyrics easier to sing along. And it, it has been an unbelievable adventure. Mm-hmm. And so far it's, I'm ambitious and I know, oh, having achieved that, I need to set the scale, scale higher. Get that bar, get that bar higher. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. That's but it's it's a lot of work, you know. Whether I write books, I write songs, I have written some more songs, and I translate books for other authors into German because Germany is a small country, but the third biggest book market in the world. Really? So, I I work twelve to fourteen hours a day, seven days a week, mm-hmm. but I don't feel. I don't feel like it's work because the thing is like, yeah, what I do, it touches my heart and makes my soul sing. And as long that is the case, I'm going to stick by my promise to Charlie Lissur and I'm not going to give up on it. And I I managed when we won Barcelona and Holland, I thought Mm -hmm. like Charlie Lissur passed away very unexpected on a heart mm-hmm. attack. He was like, boom, he was gone. And I hope he sees me somewhere from up above. And I brought the pioneer history back to Europe to a certain degree. So I kept my second promise to him. Mm-hmm. And that was for me as important as the awards, you know, as important because that's beautiful. We, we can, we can, Teach people for better understanding of each other's culture and heritage and background and history. Mm-hmm. We can achieve that. We have a re- we have a way as authors like you. We have mm-hmm. a way to reach people mm-hmm. with what we do, and that's that's for me. That's a great honor, but also a great responsibility. So I owe it to the readers, to the people who listen to the music, to the people who watch the movie i owe it to them to try my very best and more yeah absolutely and that bar is definitely getting you know getting higher with the work that you've been doing because you not only have the short film you not only have other books that are out there there's one that that i was really fascinated with that you actually were able to tie to the legend of johnny ringo Mm -hmm. um, but in a really cool way really cool like you know different kind of way than than what we've seen it's not enough to just feature like you said wyatt doc johnny bill like you know all all these all these different you know legendary figures because it's already been done it's already been done multiple times most notably you know like one of the one of the best westerns that's come out of the last few decades tombstone i thought that was a tremendous tremendous film when when i finally got to see it I fell in love with it immediately. And I was just like, it's, there's no reason to go back into that because it's already been done. Yeah. Like everything to the performances, to the action, to the direction, to the look of it, to the feel of it, to the music. My God, Bruce Broughton's score in, yeah. in that film is tremendous. And then, but you know, but you're finding different ways to incorporate elements of it. So you, you're bringing in, other elements it's not just these people like you said that made that made tombstone what it what it was you have 
the miners that were in the background like the, and and the fact that you're bringing that to the spotlight is is only going to benefit that whole culture as a whole but what i'm really fascinated with the thing that really grabbed my attention is is the different things that you're also planning for the future to incorporate other elements of storytelling so it's not just western there's western with other elements with this this amazing crossing of genres that you have going and really cool attempts there to really open things up so that that in itself is there anything you you're at the liberty to talk about that you that that you'd be able to show as an example of that well, the thing is, like, when I wrote my last book, Ama del Diablo, The Cult of Destiny, the thought behind it was that people always say, like, Western is dead, Western is dying, Western is dead, you know? So I say, like, to a certain degree, sadly, that is true. But I believe if there is a genre mix, we have a possibility to reawake western mm-hmm. and the the main character in that book is not there's one weapon expert but the main character is a cult 45 and i reached out to a friend who's an expert on antique weapons and he said that cult 45 that johnny ringo is supposed to use for his suicide if it was a suicide mm-hmm. uh, really exists so he could give me the serial number and everything and it's one of the most documented historical weapons documentation without interruption for 136 years. So I had the idea to do a, it starts as a Western, mm-hmm. travels through two continents all the way to 2021. Mm-hmm. And it is a hybrid between the Western and a little bit of Lovecraft and a Da Vinci Code book, and it has. It's always, very easy yeah. to see why I'm excited about things. Like it's, it's well, so it has, cool. It's, <laughs> it has some. It has some religious background in it as well because something is really wrong with that weapon. There's a curse inflicted on the weapon, mm-hmm. and I'm lucky. I have access to a the most famous monastery in Switzerland and their archives and their huge library because my cousin is a monk there. So I said, mm-hmm. hey, I need you guys. I'm going to put you in a book. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I went through all this. It's, it's a fact that Vatican, for example, collect archaeological papers and findings all over the world since decades and decades, since centuries, actually. And they're always interested in what do they find? Because, you know, you might have to rewrite other books if you find (laughs) the wrong stuff somewhere in the desert, in Egypt or wherever. So I always had a big fascination for archaeological sites and, and excursions, you know. So I combined that. And I have three new books coming out with Ronan Weatherford and another three-book series. And the three-book series is, for the first time, written in first person. So I have to put myself into the shoes of that famous female pioneer. Mm -hmm. And although she was very famous, hardly anything is written about her. And I cannot release the name yet. 
but it will, as soon as I'm allowed to, I will get back to you because I think that's going to raise a rookus, a commotion out there. Because <laughs> that's a very unexpected book from my side. It's three books. Mm-hmm. The other two that comes out with Ronan Waterford, three books actually, two of them, one is a modern story. For for the first time, I'm writing, wrote a Western, modern Western about a broken rodeo champ mm-hmm. who lost everything. Alcoholism, wife is gone. He lost everything. Yeah. And the second main character is a stallion that was terribly abused, a former rodeo championship horse. And mm-hmm. the horse and the man according to an old Indian legend, might have a way to heal each other. Oh, wow. That is the background. It's called Spirit Horse. It will be published by this fall. It contains some crime, mm-hmm. crime history behind it, a crime story, a lot of rodeo impact. And I had to get in touch with a saddle maker friend because, hey, I'm German. I know very little about rodeos. I say like, okay, and then, and how do they count the points and what that and what that? And don't call it calf. Don't call it bull. It's called this and that. And I'm like, okay, okay. So because I try to research a lot in all my books, you will find either characters that really lived during that Mm -hmm. time, buildings that really exist and events that really took place and the rest around it is a made-up story. So then I have one book that will be republished called Gateway to the Past, which is Secrets of the Hounded Birdcage Theater in Tombstone. Every paranormal TV show in the United States has shot footage in that building. And I happen to have unbelievable photos myself with things that are not supposed to be on those pictures. I have no scientific science explanation. I'm a good Christian, but I have seen things happening in that building that is far beyond eerie. And I did some research and finding out that 26 people got killed in that building. Over oh its eight years of functioning. So no wow. wonder it's an earring place. Yeah. So I, I try to always put a certain amount of truth and a certain amount of fiction in it. But the readers never have to wonder because at the end of each book, I give an explanation. If there were characters that truly lived or performed mm-hmm. in, in a tombstone, Mm-hmm. Like shady ladies, or if I mention a certain funeral hearse, is that funeral hearse still somewhere in a museum in Tombstone? I give all that background information at the end of the book so the reader gets to know, hey, that was true. That yeah. person really existed. So the next book is going to be Spirit Horse, which is a modern, modern Western ranch romance with some serious background, mm-hmm. uh, also for the horse people, mm-hmm. you know. And after that, it's the Canyon of the Old Ones. That's an Apache mystery. And I was lucky to have Mr. Michael Farmer, who is another 
colleague of ours at Ronan Weatherford, Weatherford, who has 14 years of research about the Chiricahua Apaches or the Apaches in general. And he helped me with that book. It contains a lot of Apache mystery. It is like a time-traveling book. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a new one about a pioneer who came from the old world and ended up being quite a famous outlaw. And sadly, nothing much is written about that guy, although mm -hmm. he was impressive. Yeah. So that's going to be the third one. And then the three book series. Oh, that's great. So that's six books, but actually three books are written already. So I'm, I'm on timeline. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know, I know, what you, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I'm so excited that that Ron and Weatherford are going to be releasing the first two Excelsior books, and yeah. um, but but at the same time, they're not going to release part one, like I said before, until part three is written. So that is the motivation that I need to really get in gear and finish that up. So that is fabulous that they have basically just kind of really set you on a really good path with your writer's journey. At yeah. Ronan Weatherford, they the fact that you know that there is not only a home for the books that have yet to be written, but there's a new home for all the books that are already done, and they're going to get that Ronan Weatherford treatment. They're going to get some people to really look at that work and make sure that that they are releasing something that they can be proud of, which is which is great. I I love the fact that we have them as a qual you know quality control to make sure that, well, that we're have, delivering the best we can. They have an unbelievable amount of editing processes, which is, especially yeah. for me, of not being English mother tongue speaking, you know, like it's, it's you know, I, I write books in English. So the people mm -hmm. say, but why in the world it would be easier to write them in German, right? And I say, I don't mind translating them back, but it would feel awkward for me to, you know, you create a story about, let's say, the gold rush mm -hmm. in Deadwood. And I write that in English, German, it would feel awkward to me because it happened in English, in an mm -hmm. English speaking country. So if I want to cover that kind of history, the least I can do is have the dignity and learn the language and do it in that language. Absolutely. But it's hard. It's hard with grammar and I use wrong words sometimes and my editors probably have a ball with me. <laughs> <laughs> but what really, really surprised me with Ronan Weatherford, they say like, okay, we have the line development editing and the story development editing and the grammar and spelling mistakes editing. And I thought, I wow. And then they say, and then at the end of the day, we have the historical correctness editing. Oh, that, that's great. That was new to me. And to give you one example, I was in Yuma. I added Yuma into one of the stories, Yuma, Arizona, and you walk through town and through the territorial prison and you see the saqueros so i add the saqueros and my editor says like mm, yeah saqueros don't grow there and i said what the heck they don't there was one right in front of the hotel and he said like yeah artificially planted but originally in 8082 no saqueros but don't don't worry these are the little things we take care of 
And I was fantastic. I was impressed. And he said, like, you know, other authors make those mistakes too. Because Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have seen that Sequero. But if you talk 1882, high desert, low desert, they they don't grow in that kind of surroundings like Yuma. Yeah. And the editor knew because he lived in the high and in the low desert. He knew. Mm And that was a detail. I thought like, huh. And I have another editor that I used first before I send it in. So she says like, you used a plant to knock off outlaw gang, Californian mm-hmm. poppy. And I say, yeah. She said like, not poisonous enough to knock uh. them out. You use this and that. That's like a nightshade plant. And she researches that the Californian poppy wouldn't have been strong enough. So mm-hmm. it's not believable. And I'm like, I'm at awe. I just sit there. And that is what getting back <laughs> to that point when you say working with the team, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm learning, George, yeah. I'm learning constantly, not only vocabulary, I'm learning constantly about the history, about fauna, flora, people that lived there, buildings, food they ate in 8082 and it's impressive and that's the thing that motivates you to go march forward and i'm really really happy for you that you are in the same tribe and i cannot wait to read your work oh thank you i can't wait to read yours too because i like like i we had said before before the show that i am really looking forward to reading your work but i want to read the ronan weatherford version of it because yeah because you you and I both already know that they're going to bring everything that they have to yeah. make sure that you're that you're getting that you're getting the the best possible book out there and that's that's a that's a wonderful thing and that's something that just to you know just kind of like you know wrap things wrap things up over here it's not something that has to be exclusive to traditional publishers this is yeah. something you know those extra details are very much available in the indie publishing world. In fact, more so because you have other people that are, that are out there that can provide that sort of additional historical accuracy or geographical accuracy. You know, just like looking at, looking at different movies and seeing how one character, how you watch in a character that is in New York city and they're running and you look in, in the background, you see that they're at 70th Street and Broadway and they start running. And then all of a sudden, like a few seconds pass and they're passing by. A, you recognize it as 84th and Broadway. Just like, wait a minute. No one runs that fast. But yeah, you know, but the general public, you know, may not may not think about that. But yeah. people like like the like these people, they they can pick that up and they know yeah. that, you know, like if they can go ahead and, and Readers, take care of that. Readers nowadays, they are very, very, picky. very informed and picky yeah. and they don't forgive obvious mistakes like that. Mm-hmm. The funny part was when we published Arma del Diablo, five days later, that very gun went into the same auction like the gun that shot Billy the Kid. Wow. That very gun was sold only three times to three different collectors. Other than that, it has been in Johnny Ringo's sister's family for five generations. 
and the gun got sold. And one of my readers immediately sent a Facebook message to me with the picture of the gun. The gun got sold. The gun got sold. That is the gun from your book. And true, $236,000 plus, you know, and I was like, what? And Mm -hmm. five days after publishing, it has been in private collection all these years, and then it got sold. So the the readers really say like, hey, I enjoyed this. And if you get something wrong, they tell you straight and frank to the face too. But Mm -hmm. we learn from these mistakes. And I can only, the people who go for indie publishing, no problem. Join author groups, yes, reading groups, mm-hmm. join library groups. You know, they, yeah. they, they, people like to exchange information and mingle. Join online Facebook reader groups like Fictioners, and you know, yeah. there are so many groups out there. Just reach out to them. Generally, you would say, like, out of 20, at least 17 would be happy to share information with you. You just have to mm-hmm. march forward. Hey, I need help with that. Reach out. And and normally you, you receive work back, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's what this is all about. Now you had mentioned, you mentioned someone reached out to you on, on social media. Where can my listeners find you on social media? You find me on social media, on Facebook, under mm-hmm. Schneider. And author Manuela Schneider, I'm on Instagram. And what I can do is I can send you the different links. You can find my author profile on Amazon and mm-hmm. on the Rowan and Weatherford, of course. Of course. Yeah. Just if you have questions, just reach out. You know, it doesn't matter how busy the day is. I always have a few minutes to squeeze in because I am living a dream. And the only thing I wished I would have started it years earlier. So mm-hmm. before people waste time living their dream, dash an email to me or, or manuelaschneider.com. That's my homepage, my webpage. Write an email and just reach out. Don't, don't lose time. Live your dream. I, I do believe we all have wings to fly. All we mm-hmm. need to do is there to spread them and do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I can't agree more. And I am, I'm very much of the mindset, like, like I said at the beginning of this episode, that having that support system, having people around you to provide that encouragement, to provide that support when you can't do it on your own, it's so, so wonderfully valuable and it's so validating to know that there are people out there that have got your back. And it's not just yeah. with traditional publishing. It is absolutely everywhere in indie publishing. All you have to do is look for it, find your tribe and find your support system. Find the people that connect with you in ways that you never thought possible. They are there. They're waiting for you. They need you. So let yourself be known, spread those wings and make sure that there are people right beside you to hoist those wings up, to keep them up. So that way you can keep airborne and you can keep others airborne. And just like what, what Manuela was told, do not give up on your own dreams. Dreams only die when the dreamer themselves allows them to be killed. So don't do it let those dreams fly. Don't waste time. 
see seek out the people that inspire you let them know that that you are inspired by the work that they are doing because you never know it could be that very day that that person has decided that they want to just step away from what they're doing when all of a sudden they get a message from you saying hey this really changed my life this really inspired me this really encouraged me so thank you and that could be what they need to keep going. So all of this, this wonderful circle of positivity, it can keep going. It can keep going and it will keep going as long as the dreamers themselves are allowing themselves to be supported and be supportive of everyone's dreams. So for Manuela Schneider, this is George Soroy saying to all of you ever upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.